welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy X edition of Normandy FM. We are here. It is the holidays, Kenneth Shepard. How are you feeling about that? Uh, indifferent at the moment. I'm just very tired, broadly, for the thought of doing anything. Much less holidays. No. A lot no right holiday cheer no. no holiday cheer on this podcast episode i can't believe no. this ken you're usually i'm here to... the cheerful one am i <laughs> maybe maybe we can find some extra holiday cheer with our extra special guest this week the one the only jessica howard jessica how you doing i'm good um i you know it's funny i like an hour ago i made myself like this little like eggnog latte sort of thing because my husband just got an espresso machine for christmas Mm -hmm. early christmas i guess because it's a few days before um so you know i do have a little bit of holiday cheer to to spare i think i think the eggnog does it (laughs) right so you are you are pro eggnog I am. I am pro eggnog. I mean, like, okay, so here's the thing. I, I admit that it's, like, very thick and I can't have a lot of it because it is a lot. Um, but, like, I like it in small amounts here and there. Ken, are you an eggnog fan? I don't think I've ever had eggnog. I don't, I, you know, I'm thinking, Ken, there are mm-hmm. many things I know about you mm-hmm. in the many years that we've known each other. Part of that is that we've traveled together, and so I know from experience that, Ken, you're a bit of a picky eater. Mm-hmm. Very much. Very much. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I don't know if you'd like eggnog, but mm-hmm. it's not picky in the ways that I know you have been in the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll try it and report back next episode. How do you feel about milk? I, I don't like, know. Like you're okay. talking about, like drinking straight milk? Yeah, just just straight yeah, milk. It's fine. Right, yeah. So if it was a little bit more like. I don't know, like, the like way... a tad more viscous and, like, mm. cinnamony and stuff. The mm. way that I would describe it is if you have a vanilla milkshake that's, like, mm. or, like, vanilla ice cream that's melted for long. Mm. That, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's still cold, but... That, that sounds yeah. appealing to me. It's like drinking, like, vanilla ice cream. Mm. Mm. I'm you into know? that. It's, it's not too distant from horchata, if you've ever had horchata. Yeah. I feel like they're all kind of in the same ballpark of, mm. like, viscous drink that that is, like, milky and stuff. Mm. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's a weird brand of drink. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a weird one to get around. But we're not here to just talk about viscous milk drinks. We're also here to talk about Final <laughs> Fantasy X. Uh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here, then. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Sorry, wrong show. <laughs> Wrong, wrong topic that we pulled up. Uh, before we get into topic, talking about uh, Xanarkand, you know, the return to Xanarkand, as it were. Uh, Jessica, tell us a little bit about yourselves for the listeners at home and, and what you been, do. Who it's been a hot minute since you were on. Like, yeah. years at this point. Yeah, yeah I th- it has been, which is so wild because COVID just kind of completely shatters the timeline. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I just did this this year, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's been a while. So... Yeah, uh, my name is Jessica Howard, and I am an editor over at GameSpot. Um, Before that, I did work over at Uppercut Crit. Um, I don't know why I said Uppercut Crit. I always give people crap because, like, we're just Uppercut, but our handle is Uppercut Mm. Crit. (laughs) And so I'm always like, no, it's just Uppercut. But, um, yeah, over at Uppercut, um, I also did some freelance writing for the past year. And now I'm over at GameSpot. I actually uh, (laughs) just finished up, like, my second week there this week. So very, very fresh at GameSpot. Mm. Um, and yeah, as far as, 
you know, I don't know, the my final fantasy experience, right? Because this is a show about, well, I, I don't know. This is a show about a lot of different games, so I can't say it's about <laughs> Final Fantasy, but we're talking about Final Fantasy X today. Um, I've been a lifelong Final Fantasy fan. I still remember buying Final Fantasy X the day that it came out, <laughs> and mm. I remember... Uh, this is so weird. This is such a random memory. I, I, I remember going to a New Year's party, and my parents were huge gamers, too. They had me very young, so they were, like, in their 20s when I was when this game came out. Um, and I remember them bringing over their PlayStation 2 and Final Fantasy X to a New Year's Eve party, because their friends were dorks, too, and, like, literally playing the scene of Yuna in the water. Like, they had a save file up until that point, because they were like, can you believe that games look like right. this? <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, Final Fantasy X was very beloved in our house. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Also, I see on this little sheet it's how do how do you pronounce Titus? I always yes. think Titus. I yes. know it's I know it's Titus, right? But like <laughs> I always said Titus. I think, I think the score line is is gonna win out for me here, Ken. I think <laughs> I, I need think to, I need to go back and need to, like t- make a tally, and we'll talk about it like next week. This. Jeff, you're actually the last guest that we're going to have on for the Final Fantasy X season, so Ooh. the score has been settled at this point. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. I'm mm. glad I didn't know beforehand, because <laughs> it would have been harder. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to maintain the the sanctity of the podcast and, and peace between Ken and I, and you know, peace on Earth and all that for the holidays, uh, I am calling him Titus, even though I am a firm Titus believer. Mm, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the things we do... <laughs> <laughs> Calling people uh, by their real name. Yeah, I know. Such it's, a travesty. It's yeah, it's terrible. Anyways, I'm going to do laundry after that and put some teed pods in my laundry. So I <laughs> he, make, he makes that joke every time. Anything <laughs> that makes it right. I, I also, I mean, so Final Fantasy VII is my favorite of the Final Fantasy games, mm. and I, I still say Tifa. It's so hard for me oh, to say damn, Tifa. Tifa. I've never heard that before. I know. I, I always said Tifa because I thought it was like Tiffany right. <laughs> in, in my mind when I was a kid, like growing up, right? But I always said Tifa. So for me, I still like Tifa is still an adjustment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, that's I guess that's just the way that I go with the T.I. sound, right? Mm-hmm. Titus. Tif- I don't know. But yeah. How uh, the, the big yellow birds in Final Fantasy, how do you pronounce that word? Okay, so oh, no. I call them chocobos now, okay. but okay, I okay. used to, when I was younger, call them cocobos. Cocobos? <laughs> That's adorable. I know. <laughs> I like, I, weird, like I, the, a kid I knew growing up, uh, his family called them chocoboots. I was like, there's no oh, there's one so O funny. Like, See, I always thought it was like like a silent H, like Chloe or something, right? Mm. So I thought it was Cocobos, but no, it's it's Cho. You do pronounce yeah, you're, the you're H. Probably, we, don't, we don't pronounce it chloe so the, uh, <laughs> i don't know those the english were... language is a problem <laughs> it really is and this is the problem when you're like a kid who plays a lot of jrpgs and reads a lot of books mm-hmm. growing up is because you're not mm-hmm. hearing this stuff said out loud so it's like i know all these words i know all these names but we'll see if i can pronounce them correctly <laughs> oh i mean you know, not to not to bring forward the the turf who shall not be named, but Hermione was a real problem for me oh, growing yeah. up trying to pronounce that name. So hmm. I was like, oh yeah, Hermione, <laughs> that character. I always the normal way. I still give my husband crap because there was one time he was trying to say epitome and he said epitome. <laughs> I thought that shit for a oh. while too. Like it, it was like I thought those were two different <laughs> words. Like I, if I saw it written, I thought it was epitome. But when I heard it, like if you wanted me to say, it, I knew it was epitome. Like I yeah, it was yeah. Weird. 
it's yeah because you can you know like you know what epitome is right like you've Mm -hmm. heard it but like it doesn't look that i i get it but i still give him crap because it was so funny Mm. if if we're voicing our word sins before we get into xanarkand i I gotta get one more out there uh i once gave an entire school presentation where i kept saying compromise instead of compromise Mm. oh Uh, no that's actually not as bad as i what i thought you were about to say which is the (laughs) orgasm organism thing (laughs) that would that that happened at some point when i was growing up i know some kids said that shit in the middle of like reading something out loud for class everybody Mm. like has that moment in science class where like someone accidentally said that and Mm -hmm. you're like don't react (laughs) well then so Final Fantasy. Yeah. So Final <laughs> Fantasy. Final Fantasy X. Uh, we're heading off. You know, we, we kind of have one of those nice weeks where it syncs up, where we pick up right where we left off last time. There's not really any segueing to do. So we're here. We're in Xanarkand. Uh, one, one really, really nice part that Ken notes here is that the music kind of keeps going for mm. a while as we're venturing through Xanarkin, which I thought was really nice. At first I was like confused because I was going, where'd the, where'd the battle theme go? It's not playing. Yeah. But uh, it, it was really nice to have that music like playing throughout and, and carrying it through because it's, it is surprisingly serene music for all the battling that we're doing against right. giant evil monsters, but it is super nice to have. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's somber in a way that I think like it speaks to like, it feels like the first time, well, not really the first time, but like it's one of the times in the game where it feels like the characters are kind of like dragging their heels as they're walking because like they know what they got to do and they know what lies at the end of this. And so it always kind of, I, I liked that it didn't ever switch back to like the normal battle music because I liked that that song is going because it just feels like, you know, it feels like a journey, but it feels like one that is starting to slow down as we get to the actual destination. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. I think that's one of the... And, like, that's something that I've noticed that they do in a lot of Final Fantasy games. Whenever you kind of near the end is they'll have, like, that song that plays... Even during battles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it does add this very kind of somber, melancholy feel. And, you know, it's very... I I mean, 10 just has a beautiful soundtrack in general. Um, And this song playing here is amazing. It's, It's a perfect choice. Yeah. I was uh, I was playing this earlier when I was uh, just like sitting around and uh, after I finished this section, I ended up like going and doing a lot of the side quest stuff that we'll be covering in our next episode. And I was just sitting there playing through this area uh, <laughs> as, as we're going to cover in a second, just grinding this area over and over again and being like, wow, this this is legitimately, I think, my favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack. Mm. Uh, I love so many of the other ones. You know, Seven has extremely iconic music. Uh, Six and, and some of the earlier ones, like even the fanfares that have gone throughout all of Final Fantasy history have had very iconic tunes and all that. But something about Ten just mm. clicks together as a whole so well. And uh, we talked about this uh, on Ash's episode the idea of it having like this sort of it is audibly nostalgic Mm -hmm. you know it is something that you can hear the music and the sound of it and be instantly transported to this game and uh that that again like really sticks out here as we venture in and see that this place looks a lot like the far plane you know there's a lot of fireflies there's remnants of of people here they're essentially ghosts uh, that we do actually end up fighting uh, at one mm. point. We just fight spooky ghosts and uh, we see the remnants of the Blitzball Stadium. 
and uh with the same angle that we saw it uh at the beginning of the game which is really cool Mm. uh and Mm -hmm. we see basically echoes of people who had been here in the past uh including former guardians so we do get greeted by some weird creepy old man uh ghost guy who just kind of like looks into yuna's eyes to see the journey and he's like you've journeyed well uh you may go in to see Lady Unaleska and then like walks off and disappears into the foreground. And we start seeing flashes of all the people who have been here before, including Braska and Jekt. Um, and uh, I believe we see Seymour and his mother here too at one point. Mm. Mm. Um, just really, it's both in the actual story scenes it gives us, you know, in terms of showing us all the, the pasts of these characters and, and the walks that they've had to endure and kind of really striking that part home with the direct story scenes, but then also the feeling of running through this blitzball arena and walking through the ruins of Xanarkand and seeing, you know, this place that is now just filled with ghosts and old machina. It's, a really haunting area Mm. it's really really unsettling in so many ways and uh it's it's another testament to i think we talked about this with bacalania and stuff like that about how ff10 builds these incredibly large areas that just let you like understand more about them by being in them and Xanarkand is really like this incredible moment in the game I think especially in the ways it doesn't just beat you over the head with what it's doing and and what it's like communicating to you through the area like Ken did you dig this area a lot yeah it's um it's very haunting like in the way you said and it even comes into like the the enemies that we're gonna fight like everything here zombified and like so it's I mean it's a it's a literal ruin but like there's just this sense that like you're walking through a history that is existing in ruin for lack of a better way of explaining it like it is existing in death mm-hmm. and that is like the spiral that we are going to learn more about here and it um like like it really like came to head in a lot of those like flashes of previous summers that we saw there were some characters that i actually don't distinctly remember the names of because i think they were just meant to be like you know summers of legend and guardians of legend mm-hmm. that like lulu and Maka would know but we as a player and as titus would not know but uh, then there, there was like the one with seymour which was um jarring in a way because like you see Seymour as a child and showing actual emotion and that's not like being this weird like uh vindictive queer coded villain the whole time and like mm-hmm. I see him like oh they oh he had emotions at one point that weren't just vitriol and like nihilism yeah mm-hmm. uh Seymour is a complicated character that we're probably going to talk a lot about next week when we start getting into some of the side quest stuff in this game but it was especially weird to see him here and get the reminder of like, oh, he isn't just some random dude with, you know, aspirations of destruction. Like he understands what the Sumner's journey is and has even like seen this part of it before, mm. which I do feel there is like a weird aspect of all this, which is like if <laughs> the Sumner's journey, so many people have completed it in one way or another. And it seems like, as we'll soon learn, you know, there are not always a lot of people who walk out of that journey alive, but there are people who have been legendary guardians in the past and stuff that who have survived. So what happens to them and how have the things that, you know, exist in Xanarkin never really like leaked out to the broader public. I've always kind of been curious about that, but mm-hmm. um, it is, 
it is cool to see just like, you know, as a place, you know, Xanarkand is, is haunted by years and years of, you know, horrors and pain and, and suffering through the humans that have been through here and the grief that's been in this place. And it's even in battle, we experience it by fighting these like zombified, uh, soldier enemies the same as the ones we fought in Bavel, but instead of being humans they're all zombies and stuff and there's like a real mm-hmm. just a haunted aspect to this place that's so interesting yeah I mean it's a whole area that just feels you know I guess to use like what you'd call it in like Final Fantasy X that just like feels unsent right mm-hmm. like it mm-hmm. feels like it was just trapped in time and so in my like when I kind of rationalize like, like, like why isn't this like a, a bigger thing that people talk about you know this whole like I don't know just disturbing area um I always think about how I mean the summoners kind of feel like a mediator right between like life and the afterlife and so I would think that as part of that journey maybe part of what they decide is to kind of keep that closed off and to not let people know about its existence because I mean even we see like just how secretive the party is right it seems like every like five hours there's some sort of revelation that comes out that like somebody's been keeping this piece of information kind of quiet because it's not super pleasant Um, and that seems to be kind of a theme with summoners so I'm like maybe that's kind of the the rationalization there but yeah it's a it's a really haunting area for sure Mm. yeah and I mean it's been like propped up throughout basically the whole game it's like Yuna's role in this world is this kind of like shiny nice like light for a lot of people but nobody ever really talks about what it actually entails and like that's how teeth can get through an entire pilgrimage walking through Sphira and not learn about it until the Albed time mm-hmm. and so it is like and we, we'll see with like the stuff with Oren later that like it a lot of the secrecy of it might also just come from like yes it is difficult to talk about but also like it seems like the people that do end up walking away from a pilgrimage don't ever really leave it the same. And mm-hmm. I think, yes, there are things that are difficult to talk about, but I think there are also things that are just, like, so horrific to the people that survived this. That It's like, you know, it, it, that, that, that to me makes it seem like that's something that would be so secret within this world that not even people that, like, you know, Yuna and all of her friends at this point, like, they don't know what is it at the end of Xanarkin. They don't know what they're actually going to have to sacrifice if they want to get the final summoning and i guess that's why it why it's worse for me is that like it, it is kind of like the final time that this world kind of like like shows you that all of these things that we just kind of like sweep on the rug are hard to talk about and they're also like these inevitable things that we don't like to have to constantly retread we just want to like we have to live or we believe we have to live with them thus we don't really talk about it at all mm-hmm just like all of it's just a lot of painful truths you know and like Mm -hmm. that's so much such a big theme of this game is kind of death and its inevitability Mm -hmm. and and you know how that affects the living um and so yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a tough game like even talking about it gets kind of like emotional and Mm -hmm. tough because it's it's a lot to kind of process and it's just such a a pain that like everybody who has experience like that sort of grief or loss Mm -hmm. or you know that sort of despair like that you know that that stuff's not easy to talk about you know that a place like this wouldn't be easy to talk about right yeah and and we even see so like 
we see the moment that Seymour comes face to face with his mother having to become a faith, uh, which is, we'll learn more about the reasons why soon. But uh, we also see Braska, uh, Oren really arguing with Braska and Jekt. Uh, you know, at first, Jekt is putting up, uh, you know, kind of a wall saying, you don't have to do this, Braska. But Oren is even further, like, he's even stauncher in defense of like not having Braska go through with all this and he's kind of telling them like hey we all knew that this was going to happen um you know we we knew that this was coming and we'll get more scenes of them in a little bit after the cloister of trials but it is this real moment of all these summoners and and guardians coming face to face with what it means to actually be at the end of their journey and what that means for them uh it's a lot before we head into the cloister trials i do want to shout out something i did here <laughs> all right um i've mentioned a few times that i was at a specific part of the sphere grid where uh i could use a level three key sphere to unlock holy for uh riku and then use another sphere to have yuna learn it uh holy is extremely useful at this point in the game it's also uh, a pain in the butt to get a level three key sphere because there's one enemy that sometimes drops it in this area. And I spent a very long time grinding <laughs> those enemies in this area specifically just to get the level three key sphere. I did eventually do it. I think it took me maybe like an hour and a half uh, to two hours of grinding fights on the same enemy and fleeing a bunch of the others. So I also power leveled in the process. <laughs> uh, but we got holy we got it for the next fight uh well not the next fight but the next fight after that uh, not a bad time to be over leveled though yeah and you know i i did some side quest stuff after this because i just kind of had a feeling that uh i'd rather go into the end of this game with an over prepared party than with an under prepared party even though i think that at least from what I remember, these are honestly probably some of the more difficult fights that we're going to see in the game. I remember the end-end fights, especially the last one, but like I remember the end-end fights not being as difficult as the Gagazette and Xanarkin fights were. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this is the area where the bosses get really, really just... They, they use the machinations of the game and they use them against you. They cheat. Once. Yeah. They, they pull some shit that like, again, I think is funny because it's shit that you've probably already pulled on the game in response, but still like very funny that the game is, is very well aware of what it's doing with some of its status effects and some of its uh, mechanics and really just tries to start messing with you. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment after we get through the Cloister of Trials, because this is our last Cloister of Trials. Sadly, we're, we're coming to an end of the puzzle sections of this game, but honestly, this one was pretty all right. I kind of like mm. this Anarchy Cloister of Trials. It's basically Simon Says. You yep. know, you, you get the images of the different Tetris blocks, and you have to kind of figure out that you can use the the screens and stuff to notice where all the different ones are on the floor and then light them up in response. But once you've got an idea, it's just memorization and paying attention to stuff. And 
it was it was pretty straightforward and simple. Nothing like Bavel and yeah, it can the, only go up terrible. Yeah, nothing could be as bad as Bavel. So, uh, I like this one, and I even like the fact that you don't get the destruction sphere for it right away. You have to come back later mm-hmm. after you've uh, gotten the airship and everything yeah. to and to like finish it out. It, it's the only one that doesn't involve spheres, really, which was interesting in its own way. Um, yeah. You have, like, one part where you pick up a sphere and put it somewhere else, and that's after you've done the entire cloister. It's like, good job, now put a sphere in something, because that's how <laughs> cloisters work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was kind of silly. Like, I, I legitimately hit a point where I'd done all of the pads and was like, oh, right, yeah, no, there's I'm supposed to use spheres in this area. I forgot about that. <laughs> What's the um, Xanarkin sphere? What does that look like? What is that supposed to do? The Vanerkin sphere was inside us all along, mm. Ken. <laughs> the the Vanerkin sphere is the friend we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but once once we have finished doing the little Tetris puzzle here, uh, you know things kind of get weird. We we turn off the lights as part of the process of doing this whole thing, so it's already kind of ominous, and a save sphere appears. And, you know, it's basically signposting, hey, you're going to fight a boss now. And sure enough, when we go over to the area that the elevator uh, that we're going to use appears on, we fight the Spectral Keeper, uh, which is an interesting boss. I will say that uh, mm. it's, you know, it, it takes place on an arena that has six platforms kind of hovering around uh, the Spectral Keeper, the boss. And each of your party members can occupy one platform at a time. And the whole idea is that, you know, when it attacks, it attacks the the three platforms in front of it. And then it has a tail attack that will hit one of the three platforms behind it. And you need to position in certain ways because it'll also put glyphs down that will detonate and insta-kill somebody if they're on that platform. And uh, the coolest part of this, I think, is that it inflicts berserk which is a status effect we don't see too often mm. in Final Fantasy X, at least not at this stage, but it it bumps up your attack damage, but it also means that your character is basically only going to attack, you know, think of it like a taunt or something like that. And the Spectral Keeper will often use it in combination with the Glyph Mines to try and keep your party member from being able to move and then instant KOing them by dropping a Glyph Mine on them. So... It's a cool it's a cool thing that once again kind of comes down to hey Yuna needs to be in your party to constantly Asuna people and, and keep them moving around and everybody's gotta keep on the move mm-hmm. and dodging stuff. I think I had a berserk ward for Orin that I did end up using that helped a lot because he never went because of that he never went berserk. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> poor poor Titus was just somehow got locked into a constant up and down state because he would die from just being attacked over and over again. Mm. And then I would Phoenix down him back to life and then just get attacked immediately by spectral keeper and fall down again. And so it kind of worked as, you know, I know one of the strategies and it looks like that's what you use Ken is to use provoke on, on Titus to like keep all the, the damage going towards one direction. But mm. 
Tita's just accidentally provoked without ever using the spell. Like, Spectral Keeper really wanted this dude dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I went through something like 20 Phoenix Downs in a single fight. Oh, no. Yeah, but hey, it worked. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no, I I had to do, like, the same sort of thing. I was just like, I'm so sorry, Tita's. You are a meat puppet today, Mm -hmm. and that's just how it's going to be. I ended well, I had also used Protect on Tita, so, like, he wasn't taking like a lot of damage when he got hit but it was like smart yeah like i I put like tedus and arm behind him and then just had like tedus you know take taking hits but also like dealing damage and like with protect like he lasted you know several turns before i had to even heal him but uh yeah it's it's interesting fight like it's a little obnoxious but it is like interesting in the ways like it's giving you this new system to work within because that's uh you know I, i think that's what sets it apart from any other fight is that like it making you work within a brand new confines of like movement and like actions mm-hmm. that you don't normally have to take, and I, I do remember having like a lot of trouble with this even when I played it last year, uh, just after Final Fantasy VII remake, and yeah, like it just like, occurred to me at this point, like oh, you know, maybe I can use some of these things to my advantage instead of having to just have all my Aeon summon and overdrive, like I ended up doing. Like I, at the very end, I, like, I grand summoned Bahamut just to like really like lay him out and make sure he was gone, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I felt like I was working better within its confines this time. It's it's a perfectly fine boss. Not not the most memorable, I'd say not anywhere near the worst. It's just a solid and a good example of how Ten tried to use some of these things like the you know, moving around on the platforms and, and stuff like that. Interesting concepts of movement within a turn based RPG space that, that kept things fresh for some of the big encounters. Uh we we take him down. We get all taken care of. We head down to the hall of the final summoning, which remember we are here to get the final Aeon, uh, the one that will defeat sin. And we run into a weird little voice thing of Jack saying, what do you mean? There's no final Aeon. And, uh, Yuna who had gone down to, to where the cloister is supposed to be, where the faith is supposed to be, comes back up on the elevator and says everybody you know get on come down here something's off uh but hey you know ken <laughs> you you also recommended this maybe you dip out a little bit back into the actual xanarkand area just to uh refill some of those overdrives and stuff just in uh, case. i love yeah, that i love that it's good i, I do dislike that there is not a shop in this area at all i mm. understand like lore wise why they can't really just have a merchant hanging out selling stuff in xanarkand and all that but after using 20 phoenix downs in a single Mm. fight i was really aching for just a chance to replenish some of that going into what i knew was going to be another major boss fight uh right after spectral keeper so again i think this is this is a section that really uh made me strain a bit on my resources Mm. too i'd uh i'd use up a lot of precious uh like mega potions and x potions that i was uh holding on to over the next two ever the next couple of boss fights that we do here so it's a it's a tough area it is genuinely funny though that we can have that moment of oh my god everybody get on the platform and then just yeah. run back out real quick fight some <laughs> ghosts and come back um so we head on down and there's no faith the faith is gone. Uh, there's just an empty area down there. And 
the old man ghost shows up again and says that the statue of the faith has lost its power. Uh, it was once the soul of Lord Zeon, but now it's not there. There is no final Aeon, at least not in that sense. And Unalaska will explain more when we go deeper in. It's at this point that Titus is like, hey, Oren, you've been here before. You knew what was going on. Why didn't you tell us this? And Oren was like, if I told you, would that really stop you? Like, come on. <laughs> Let's just keep moving. Uh and inside, we finally meet Unaleska, a character that we have heard a lot about, but have not actually seen face-to-face. We get to actually meet Unaleska, uh, who was, I believe, the first summoner to defeat Sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, she congratulates us on getting there and will teach Yuna how to get the final Aeon. It says she must choose one of her guardians to become the new faith of the final summoning. Uh, she says, she says there must be a bond between chosen and summer Cho- the, I cannot speak tonight between chosen and summoner for what is w- the final, uh, summoning embodies the bond between husband and wife, mother and child, or between friends. If the bond is strong enough, it's light will conquer sin. Zeon and, you know, were the first to undergo this. Uh, but essentially this is the big reveal. And for once it's a reveal that yes, someone in our party did know, but it's it's the first major shock to everyone in the group mm. outside that one person. Mm. And for once, it's not one that's like, oh, they were withholding information from Titus because, you know, he doesn't know any better and all that. It's this one is, I think, a genuine shocker that's mm. like, oh, someone is going to have to not only die to become the final Aeon, to become the faith that they can summon, but also that person by extension will kill the summoner because that's what the final summoning does. So that's not great. <laughs> not a, not a great situation between besties. No. Yeah. It's, it's awkward second date for Titus and Yuna, you know, <laughs> um, because I think obviously that's, it's never really said who would end up becoming the the final summoning for Yuna, but I think obviously like the choice would be Titus, given mm-hmm. everything we've seen. And I think I've seen some fan art and, yeah. and interpretations of what Titus would look like as Yuna's final summon and all that. Yeah, that was um, what I was gonna bring up with it. Like, I I'm honestly surprised that after 20 years of this game being out, that there aren't more concepts like that. Like wondering what like each of these characters might have looked like as a hypothetical final summon. Mm-hmm. Um. Because, yeah, I think, like, well, there's a point where, like, Lulu, like, volunteers when the conversation is, like, still in the, like, it's still happening. They don't really say that it needs to be, like, the person that has, like, the most attachment to, like, the summoner. But, like, just uh, the bond has to be there in some way. So, hypothetically, any of them could have been it, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah. I've seen, like, yeah, that, that, I've seen a couple concepts that you said that I would have loved for some fan out there that can draw better than me to, like, come up with all of these other different versions of what the unit's final Aeon might have looked like. Yeah, like what would Kimari look like? What would Riku look mm, like? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of it is kind of interesting because like it does feel as if there are multiple universes right where it could have been mm-hmm. any one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe maybe less so like I guess Waka and like Oron, but I feel like Kimari, Lulu, Riku and yeah. 
like Titus, like all would have made perfect sense. Like any one of them could be like, oh, okay, well, like familial bond or like bond between like two close female friends or guardian and her and then, you know, Titus and like their their love there. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that they set it up like that and they put this dilemma in front of them because I feel like people, you know, tons of people could play this game and maybe in that moment they would have a different idea of who would be it. Right. I feel like it also puts, as I was playing through this section, I think it puts an interesting perspective on the entire institution of guardian and summoner, because for the longest time we've been told that summoners need the guardians to protect them, right? It's this idea that these summoners, while they're able to bring in powerful aeons and things like that, you know, might not be combat trained in the traditional sense and might need that, you know, additional protection from monsters, bandits, the like. And, you know, in some respects, it is strange. You know, we've seen plenty of monsters that prove that, yes, they they do need guardians or at least help to fight some of these, even if you are an extremely powerful summoner, like, say, Seymour. Uh, But I feel like this also shines a new light on the guardian relationship because clearly, you know, Unaleska is aware of this, uh, the higher ups at Yevon are likely aware of this and how this all works. So was this institutionalized from an early point, not only to make sure that a summoner stays protected, but to make sure that they are developing a bond with someone that can later be weaponized, that can later be turned into something. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's haunting in and of itself, right? right? Like this idea that, you know, we've had these, these connections across the, uh, across the pilgrimage between characters like Kimari and Yuna and Titus and Yuna and Riku and Yuna. And now those seem to be the purpose of them journeying together and going through hardship Mm -hmm. together is that they can build those bonds that will eventually be able to turn into a weapon that can destroy sin. Like that's how fucked up the church in this world. is. (laughs) We, we also get a flash of, of, Braska's group again. So, so Unaleska, and we also get confirmation as if we needed it at this point that Unaleska is also unsent. Um, but Unaleska kind of gives us a little opportunity to uh, to think about it, and we also see a flash of Braska's group and Orin trying to turn them around, saying, "Don't do this." And Jekt offers himself up to be the faith. Because he, you know, he's he's basically acknowledged at this point that he doesn't think he's ever going to be able to go back home, and at least with this, he'll be able to be of use to somebody. His his life will have meaning here, and he'll be able to help Braska achieve what Braska wants to achieve. And there's a good part where Orin is saying like, "Sin keeps coming back. Like sin returns every time." If, if you go in there and you do this and you die, you, sin will come back and then your deaths will have meant nothing. And Braska just says like, hey, there's always a chance it won't happen. And that's when Jekt says, well, find a way to break a cycle then. You know, we'll figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put it all together. Uh, which in present day, Titus uh, has the same uh, belief as, as they go in, you know, Oren visibly frustrated with his past self and his inability to stop Braska inject, uh, and, and break the cycle then. But, but Titus is very much, you know, this is, this is my story. 
you know, it'll go the way I want or it'll end here. And then Yuna stands up too. It's like, it's my story too. It's really good. I, this whole section gets really, really good. The ramp up to the mm. fight here is very, very good. Um, so we go into Unaleska's chambers, you know, except for Titus, you know, the player who makes a quick run back to that safe sphere. <laughs> so we don't have to watch that cutscene twice in case we lose during the next boss. Um, but we head up into the chambers and they're this crazy bonkers room just kind of suspended in space. And Unaleska is like, all oh, right, who, who have you chosen? Who will step forward and become the faith? And Yuna decides that she's going to ask her own question. You know, will sin come back if we do this? Is it possible to finally kill sin or will it be determined that sin will come back? And that's when Unaleska reveals the truth. When the final Aeon destroys sin, it then becomes the new sin. It's just a cycle. It's just another part of the cycle. So that's how Jekt ended up becoming sin, was Jekt became Braska's final Aeon and destroyed sin, killed Braska, and uh, became the new sin. And this, as Unaleska says, is just part of Spira's fate. It's the cycle. It's it's everything. It's the spiral. And here's where Waka and Lulu are just like getting all pissed about it. Kind of like, what do you mean? We were always taught that atoning for our sins will will fix it all. That one day we can get rid of sin. And Unaleska's like, that's you know, hope is what keeps people going even in the face of impossible despair. And uh basically confirming that all that is just made up to keep people appeased and to keep the cycle going. Uh, and that's when we see a flashback of Oren brandishing his own sword and getting mad after Braska and Jack have both died, you know, in their own way and charging at Unaleska and anger only to be killed by her. So now we, we will get confirmation of this later, but yes, this is, how Oren died and Oren is unsent as well. Uh, he was killed by Unaleska here. Uh, do we want to, do we want to just jump right into the fight or how do we feel about this revelation? Like Jessica, remember, how are you feeling at this moment? This, I remember when I was, gosh, how old would I have been when I was playing this game? Like, I don't know, probably nine or something like that. Like, this blew me away then and even now like I know I know the story like I've played this game probably like three times three or four times and like it's still just so good and it's so I don't know it just hits you different each time you play it too because like as a kid you have no context of like how this parallels actual religion right. <laughs> right um you know like i like there's you you pick it up but you don't you know what i mean like you don't mm. get the depth there um but then just the more you play this game and and this whole i don't know just like defeat like just very like nihilistic and bleak mm. um outlook on life that these people are expected to subscribe to um where you feel, I don't know. And it's just, and like maybe just with everything going on in the world, the last like, you know, few years, like it, it also just makes it to where like bleak stuff like this and, and like systemic failures hits harder. Um, because like I, you know, I was playing this and I was just like, God, like it's like, it sucks to feel that hopeless. And I feel like for so many people, like that's 
what we feel every day. Right. <laughs> um, and so it, it's it's very real right now. Um, mm. It's a very interesting time to to kind of play it and and to be in this world where these larger powers are <laughs> inflicting all of this pain under the guise of of doing something about it, but right. it's not really doing anything. Yeah, I mean, it, so. it's it's nihilistic, but it also like in the way that she described, like it it's meant to like be this beacon of hope for these people that are in a cycle that like they 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 think can end, and I think like mm-hmm. that's. What I, I guess makes, like, the actual, you know, thing that these characters are about to do, like, the more, like, hopeful declaration to me is that, like, you know, you're, I, the, you're, you're told that everything you've ever been taught was, like, a lie and it was meant to keep the cycle going. And so now you've got these characters that are like, okay, we are, like, not necessarily, like, falling into that same cycle and that despair by being like, okay, well, then if this doesn't work, if this is not actually going to accomplish what we want there must be another solution and like there must be a new path for us to follow and that's why like this speech that Arthur's about to give and everybody else is about to give yeah. is like fucking one of like you know it's it's there are a lot of very emotional moments in this game but like i mean it's kind of like the point where it's just like the game like makes the statement that it's trying to like in a like you know a non-subtle like in text way it's being like okay we live in this cycle because like it it has been the only hope we've ever known and it's and that again like falls into, like, a lot of, you know, real-world parallels to other religions. It's, like, a lot of people, you know, fall into that. Not to say that everybody does, but, like, a lot of people follow religion and, like, you know, these claims of, like, a future that will, that you can acquire should you follow, like, a very specific set of rules and parameters that have been laid out to you by the systems that have been in place since long before you were ever born. And all these characters, like, making this declaration of, like, okay, now that we know that this is all bullshit, we can start to look for other solutions to other ways to actually bring about hope and actually like bring change and peace to spira and fucking dope it's a really fucking good scene yeah it's i mean it's like it kind of all this builds up to like this moment of like liberation from that Mm -hmm. you know where it's like this entire time each character has kind of felt resigned to maybe with the exception of i guess like titus right because titus remains fairly optimistic and trying to like get back to xanarkand and and he has he has he's like a hopeful character, which is why he is so great as the protagonist. But there are a lot of characters who kind of feel resigned. I mean, even Waka and Lulu, like five minutes ago, right, are just kind of like, "Yep, this is the process." Like, mm-hmm. they're fine with dying, <laughs> you right. know. Um, and so you have all these people who feel resigned to this fate and resigned to these systems. And so this moment of liberation is really, really powerful. And I think even seeing Aaron too, who's somebody who we've grown to find very, maybe rigid is the wrong word, but like somebody who seems pretty unaffected, um, to see him in these flashbacks be so emotional about this. And then this speech here, like it, I don't know, it just really adds a lot to him as a character. Yeah. I mean, so this all of this this whole scene is so good. Yeah, and like because when we were coming into Savannah again, like Aaron had that conversation with Waka, where Waka was like, "Oh, I guess you know even you know these legendary guardians can lose their nerve," and he's just like, "Nah, you have no idea. Like I was just a kid, and I and I thought I could change the world too, and here I am doing the same thing over again, mm-hmm. but it might be different this time." Yeah, and and I think one of the things I love about this scene is obviously we get the moment with Oren where he's giving the big hype up speech, you know, Unaleska is like 
okay, if you're if you're not going to follow along, if you're not going to play along with the system as it's been set out, then you're of no use to anybody in the system, and I'm just going to kill you here and give you the mercy of dying with hope and you know instead of despair and the the music starts to ramp up and Oren's just like now this is it it's the time to choose die and be free of pain or live and fight your sorrow and that's such like a moving moment because it's this you know it would have been so easy for them to fall back into the cycle here to say like it isn't perfect, but this is going to guarantee 10 more years of peace and then more people will keep doing it and it'll sustain. And there will be people out there who do experience good from this, you know, versus what is the alternative here, which is literally killing the, the one thing that is allowing people to have peace from the cycle in this world uh, versus sin all the time, 24 (laughs) seven, you know, maybe they're not thinking that far ahead yet, but it is the moment where they can either resign themselves to function within the system that, you know, at the outset might provide some hope, but really just exists to keep a few creepy undead old men in power at the top of Bevel forever because they're just immortal geezers of the worst degree. And uh, they can either do that or they can fight and see what happens next. And we go through that moment of, you know, even Waka, who we have given a lot of shit to in this <laughs> show, has that moment of being like, I could never forgive myself if I ran from this now. I have to be here. I have to fight for this. And I was like, dang. Okay, Waka. All growth. right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> character growth. We've seen it. Um, it's... It's really something, and Yuna here especially, I feel like this whole section is the Yuna show because, you know, Titus is just kind of going and being like, no, well, I refuse to do that. You know, the thing he's done the whole game, you know, that's been his beat. But for Yuna, this is her not only facing the fact that, you know, the system that had told her she was going to die for a good cause is not worth it and is not worth sustaining but that she's going to fight for an even better one and mm-hmm. fight for uh, a better future, even if she doesn't know what that is. Like just the willingness to say, I'm going to do what my father couldn't. Right. I'm going to do what I feel is right and right. believe that I'm doing the right thing is so much. That's also yep. why I liked having Holy in this fight because it's the first time Yuna gets her own offensive spell and it feels like the right time to have that. And Holy also works really really well against Unaleska. it was like hitting the the damage limit when i was using it in this fight and that just feels really thematically good mm-hmm. of yuna not only just gaining this confidence and not just being you know a healer slash summoner but having the ability to fight with her own hands and determine her own future is, feels really good here mm-hmm. feels real right yep because even up to the point like we got like literally until she asked that question of Unaleska, she was still like willing to do like you're you know, given to the cycle like up to that point and that was even like the conversation that they had after Bavel and Makalania that they were like you know like I would never forgive myself for, if I didn't still go like even if you know everybody here hates me I still need to do what is going to bring the calm and you know save all these people for however long I can and you know re- like she realizes the inevitability of that because you know she, when she's in Bavel she's, she's more or less saying fuck you to these old fucking dudes that have been 
you know, mm-hmm. you, they, that have been undead and leaders up top, but that she still believed that even if they had, like, kind of distorted it in whatever way they had, like, she still thought this was the way to go. And just by asking one simple question of, you know, Leska, like, will Sin come back? Like, she was, she, <laughs> the entire situation spiraled into, like, a completely different scenario where she is now fighting her namesake and, you know, all this, like, that she has been, like, you know, this uh, modern symbol of, in a way, um, yeah, we're fighting fucking Unaleska. Yeah, we just launched right into it. And Unaleska is a really good boss fight. Mm. Like, I think now that I'm on the other side of it, now that I'm not getting my ass kicked by it, uh, mm-hmm. really good boss fight. Uh, she's so tough. She's mm-hmm. fair, but she's so tough. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the distinction I'll give her versus Seymour. Like, she, I mean, she, like, okay, I, I did fight her twice because, like, she has, like, one, like, team-wiping ability that I did not remember by the time I got into the fight the first mm-hmm. time. That's the difference between her and, like, Seymour over on Gagazette was that, like, it's very tough, but it's very fair. Like, that's that was sort of my takeaway when I finished it, was that, like, yes, I did get screwed over once, but, like, once I understood everything else that she could do and, like, understand how, like, the status effects that she does factor into, like, her one-hit kill move, the entire thing just clicked with me in a way that Seymour just doesn't and... These two fights, and then probably, you know, the, the final fight, or, like, the, kind of, like, the, the trifecta of, like, really tough boss fights in this game. And she is the one that I think is the most interesting and the most fair throughout. I feel like, again, if we want to read into game mechanics as thematic stuff and, you know, read the text a little bit, the fact that Unaleska's fight doesn't really involve elemental weaknesses of any kind, but it's purely about life and death, mm. and her whole thing, her whole move set. You know, when you attack her, she blinds you. When you cast things on her, she silences you. That's the whole first part. But then the second and third phase is all about she tries to turn you into death, to turn you into the zombified form, Mm -hmm. and then kill you with hope, kill you with (laughs) healing over and over again. But then when you get to the third phase, she uses mega death, and it will wipe your entire party if you don't have zombified people. But if you have someone zombified, mega death does not work on them, and you can survive through it. And so it's it's like you're embracing the the destruction of Spira. You're understanding it and you're weaponizing it back against her. Mm. Like her entire strategy about trying to destroy and embrace the cycle of despair and all that. Mm. And you just end up using it against her and and malu like malleable belating. I don't know what fucking word I was just going <laughs> for there. <laughs> Molding yourself around this. It's a really it's a cool fight. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had it before where, you know, you have the cheeky uh, kill every Altana using a Phoenix down and stuff like that. And it's like, ha ha, you know, I knew what zombie does. But in this fight, it you have to play such a careful dance of some people might need to stay zombified. So that way if she casts Megadeth, you have other people to resurrect the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. But then... If, if they're zombified, they're going to start taking chip damage over time from the cure spells and from the the hellbiter attacks that she throws out. And so you'll need to unzombify them to heal them back up. And it's this very careful dance back and forth. You know, granted, when I got to the final stage, it was, okay, time to let loose on all the summons. Yeah. <laughs> and, and having Holy here really really does make a difference i mean just a substantial difference in damage uh, like having a regular 
9,999 damage spell that I could throw out meant that, like, sorry, Lulu, you are no longer the caster <laughs> in this party. <laughs> uh, although I bet if I gave her that spell and, and double cast it, that would have been pretty sick. But uh, it's it's also just such a cool-looking fight, the way that it goes from just Udaleska standing there to then getting perched up on the tentacles for the second form to then this entire Medusa head, like mm. rising out of the ground mm-hmm. and, and all that. Yeah. Like there's like a, a, the only word I know to like really describe it. There's like a desperation to Unaleska. That's interesting to yeah. me. Cause like when she's, yeah. you know, in her first stage and she's confident and like, she's not losing. like at that point she's, you know, she's just herself and she's like, I can stand on my own. Like the ugliness of her just continues to like evolve as the fight goes on, as she starts to get closer and closer to being beaten that uh, by the time that like you know, she goes on full fucking Medusa, like that was really just like really uh, striking moment because it like she she can stand on formality for as long as she can until she's about to fucking lose and then she just lets it all out. Mm-hmm. She's such a cool character though. That's like that. That's how you know she's a good compelling villain. Is like I killed her and I was like, damn. You know, I wanted she was cool. You know, she's evil, but like compellingly evil and. Uh, for for a character that has very little screen time mm. in Final Fantasy X, you know, not only just major impact in terms of the world and the lore, right. but really does make an impact for the little amount of time that we see her. Yeah, uh, I think that's just something about all the villains in this this game is that like they all embody the game in mm-hmm. like very specific ways that like it means something to defeat them in a way that like you know obviously like, a mm-hmm. fucking rando that you fight on like a random battle like doesn't. Yeah, I do think as far as like a villain in a video game who is who has as little screen time mm. as Unaleska for like her to have such a presence and for like such a good fight and such like and to be so like fleshed out and have these motivations and the story and like this like not really sympathetic angle but you can see it there like you can, you can kind of understand right like I don't know it's she's she is very masterfully crafted i gotta Mm. say it's very Mm. good yeah i also you know just the the idea of when she finally does die and you know is like oh there's no more once i'm gone there's no more final aeon um and and she as she's disappearing you know she says something else we'll talk about here in a second but she does like apologize to zayon and you get almost the kind of sense of what could have driven people to believe that this was the right way forward. Right. You know, this, yeah. this, this pair of lovers that believe that their sacrifice would be the only thing that would stop Spira from never ending destruction at the hands of sin. And then, you know, eventually having to embrace the cycle and right. becoming complicit in a system that, you know, the maesters of Yevon are now abusing for their own advancement. But it's yeah and that's um you know almost what i mean with like the whole like like you can see that sympathetic angle there right right. it's because like just Mm -hmm. in the way in the way that like yuna is kind of grieving her loss of identity and purpose like you have to like unaleska as she grows more desperate in this fight it's the same sort of process right like that Mm -hmm. probably is why she's growing more you know less humanized like Mm. you know she's she's kind of turning into that is because if she's defeated and they kill her and they're and she is no longer 
around to help this process continue. Like everything she did was in vain. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, her losing her husband was in vain. Her her like setting up this like system while it's imperfect, like she thinks this is the best she can do. Even when she goes to kill them, like in her in her eyes, right? Like this is a merciful kill. Mm-hmm. Um and she needs to just get rid of them because she needs people who are actually going to do the job and keep people safe. Right. So it's like you understand her motivations and you understand everything she's losing through this fight, which is really interesting. And it's wild that they managed to convey all of this within an hour. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And she also drops the idea that even if we find another way, you Yevon will just create another sin. So, mm-hmm. huh. Interesting that, you know, that, that little concept there. Uh, but we'll, we'll touch back on that at mm-hmm. a later point. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. But everyone else is kind of just in disbelief at what has happened. And, and Titus rallies the troops. is like, hey, we need to, don't worry about this. Like, we're going to find a way to defeat Sin without the final Aeon. We don't need it. And we head on our way out. Uh, the whole area is different. Uh, you know, the the far plainness of the whole place is basically gone. And it's just rubble now. And uh Oren stops us is like hey there's something we need to talk about and Jesus is like we already figured it out like you're on sense uh you you came back to fight Unaleska and she killed you uh and Oren says yeah uh he basically dragged himself uh across Gagazette dying and uh found Kimari just outside Bavel and told him about Yuna before his death which is what led Kimari to Yuna which is which is interesting you know we never really mentioned I guess that that kind of yeah ties that bow off uh Mm -hmm. of how that connection happened and all that but uh it was interesting uh and he says you know being dead has its advantages like being able to ride sin into Xanarkin which again don't really get much of an explanation about how riding sin works, but you know, we'll just kind of roll with that one. <laughs> it's, it's R and he can do whatever, right? It's yeah. like, I Oren with a cowboy hat hopping on top of sin. Like, <laughs> let's go Jack. Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, and, uh, he, he lets off some of his pyreflies to show him memories of Jekt and Braska and Jekt specifically asks Oren to watch over Titus. And, and that's, that's why Oren went back to Xanarkand and did all this was because he was doing this final favor for Jack. But also you have to imagine he wants revenge. He wants, he wants the chance to end the cycle that mm-hmm. he never got with Jack and Braska. So, right. um, we had kind of weird that he was like, it's hard to explain when literally like to say Jack asked me to, but then there was also part of me like, <laughs> After everything that all that these two characters have seen of Jack, and like what, or I guess what Aaron has seen of Tia's and Jack's relationship, like maybe like the the simple explanation of like your father asked me to watch over you wouldn't have been enough. Like maybe he would have had right. to be like seen it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I took it. It's, it's one of those things where like Titus just has this very, you know strange relationship with mm. him so i think that it, like he probably could have mis like interpreted that to be like ah oh, you know just my my old man like just from the grave trying to like you know keep his shackles on me mm. or something like that. so i think that like showing that scene and also just the idea that oran thought it was 
important enough to like release some right. of his fireflies from his body to like mm-hmm. make sure that his son saw this moment. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very touching yeah. little scene. It also explains why he wouldn't go into the fire plane when we were in Guadalajara. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like, they, they don't ever like explicitly make that connection, but you know, it just one of the things like, oh, I, like now that you know where the game's going, like when you're back there, you're like, oh, I know why that, why he's not going in. And I know why he, mm-hmm. he says he doesn't belong there. Every time Yuna starts sending somebody, he just kind of like moves back a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> just backs up a wee bit. It's so funny because it is one of those things like once you know and you go back and play a second mm-hmm. time, it's like very sixth sense where it's just like, oh man, he was dead the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which is which is BS because you know when he dies in battle now I'm like Oren what the hell are well, you doing <laughs> get your ass back up <laughs> uh, he's just playing dead to fit yeah. in he's just trying not to tip everybody else off we're, we're in the middle of this like very important fight and I'm like Oren get up you have to fight he's like no I have to maintain believability <laughs> <laughs> can't blow my cover uh so we walk outside, you know, the sun is rising, everything's going great. Uh, you know, I'm heading back on my jolly way to go to the next part and the, the camera's moving. I don't know why. Oh my fucking God, that's sin. <laughs> like, every, every time I forget that this scene happens where you walk outside the Xanarkin dome and the sun's coming up and you have full control of Titus. Like you're basically just walking around like a normal scene and i always run towards the camera because i'm like okay time to get back on the path and head to the next area and then you hit the edge and i'm always like why am i not moving and i'm like focus mm-hmm. on titus and then i kind of like start to spot something in my peripheral and i look over and sin is just standing there mm-hmm. like massive and foreboding and just huge and mm-hmm. oh my god every time i'm just like oh fuck yeah <laughs> it's the the world's least surprising jump scare that still gets me (laughs) um but i i do like this part for a few reasons it's you know obviously uh you know it's sin slash ject i i like the idea that it's almost like sin kind of knows when the final aeon like like when someone has reached the final aeon Mm -hmm. and is like there and ready obviously they don't fight in Xanarkand I think that you're supposed to like fight in the calm lands Mm -hmm. or whatever but it's kind of like almost a tacit acknowledgement of sin's place in this cycle and that sin is just another cog in that cycle right well my my initial reading was that like Jack came to Xanarkand because he's been hoping this entire that there was gonna be something that was going to stop the cycle whereas a person like hypothetically like a person that was more like like, buying into this shit and thought this is just like that they were playing their role would be waiting in the calm lands where Jack is more like eagerly waiting to see if his son and his friends have found something out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Titus kind of gives a little acknowledgement, like, Hey, the final summoning has gone, but we're going to think of something. Just give us a little bit more time. And, and then we have the airship just kind of flying by sin, just very, nonchalant (laughs) like it's okay if we don't make any sudden movements maybe it won't notice us (laughs) uh but that oh my god (laughs) poe jesus that was so cute uh yeah no poe has decided he's you know needs to chime in on this podcast episode um but that's when that's our introduction to now we have the airship the airship is magically back and uh this is where the game, oddly enough, opens up 
Mm-hmm. Like we'll we'll talk next episode. I think we have one initial scene where we get on the airship and Sid. It's like, oh, you're a happy looking bunch, and the room is just kind of trying to like think of a plan, think about what they can do. Obviously, Sin has a bond with Titus, and that's something that they should be able to use, but they don't really know how. Uh, and then Yuna shows up and kind of walks up to Sid. Doesn't really say anything. It's it's a very long like gaze that they share together. And then uh, Yuna bows and Sid kind of just turns around, but the camera pans around with him and you see him like kind of almost happy crying. Like he's just very happy that fucking heart drop. Like, yeah, (laughs) you know, Yuna has not gone through with the final summoning and is going to try and find another way. And it's like very, very nice. I like Sid as a character Mm -hmm. a lot in this game. He shows up late, but just, him in general and then the way he's always like yahoo let's go every time you enter a new place on the airship like he's he's great mm. love sid yeah. um do you, um, do, do you remember his uh, his role in Tintu? not okay super well okay um i i mean i know he's in it but that's about it okay uh i don't remember too much about Tintu. Which is going to be nice for our podcast, I imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, we won't be two people who overknow the game. But, um, Jessica, how are you kind of feeling about you know the path ahead at this point? Now that we have killed Unaleska, <laughs> had a little standoff with Sin, and have the airship, and you know the world is our oyster. Well, it kind of... Oh, hello, car. Wow. Right as I went to talk, just the car outside my window decided to be super loud. (laughs) Um, I mean, it kind of ties back to what we said earlier and what I said about, like, the inevitability of death (laughs) kind of being a theme in this game. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, you know, it's hard to remember exactly what I was thinking when I first played this game and maybe I was more optimistic as a kid but playing it now it's like you kind of know that like no matter what something has to be lost for this right like there's Mm -hmm. like something is the other shoe is going to drop (laughs) at some point Mm -hmm. um so even though it feels like this there's like this turning point and there's kind of like this calm before the storm um you know that (laughs) I mean at, at the very least right like uh, what's so funny? I don't know why I was about to say Zidane. Wow, why did my mind go to nine? Um, Titus, um, that's you fair. know that that's very fair. <laughs> I don't know why my mind just blanked for a second. Um, you know that Titus is displaced, you know, in time, and that there are things that just don't work together, um, and there are things that are going to happen. So I don't know. It's like you you want to have this optimism, right? You want to think like, okay, like they are being, they have liberated themselves from the system. Things are going to get better. They're going to figure out a way to kind of stop this cycle. Um, but you know that there's going to be a cost. So that's something that, like, I don't know, I, I took with me, and you, mm. you take this kind of with a grain of salt. At least that's how, how I go into this next part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting too. No, you go ahead. Ken. I was gonna say, there's like an unspoken like like this cloud that hangs over yes. everything. It's like yeah. for all the optimism mm-hmm. and all the excitement that we have about like, okay, we're gonna we've broken the system. We are gonna find some some new way to accomplish what we want to. I guess the game has trained you at this point to know it's not gonna be that simple, and it's, there there's mm-hmm. got to be something else that happens along the way that is going to make this complicated. Because like it has left, you know, a mm-hmm. like a hanging thread uh, about somebody's place in this universe that has to also tie up at some point. And yeah, when when we go to Avell in the next episode, uh, 
we're gonna have to actually talk about that so yeah yeah we'll talk about some of that stuff because our next episode is going to be kind of a weird one because you know this is the point where the game opens up weirdly uh in various different ways you know in in some respects it is open for you to now go back and explore uh any past areas that you might want to it's the time when say you wanted uh, a significant enough break from the main plot to say go play blitzball or do chocobo racing or something like that those are all pretty open the calm lands basically becomes like a, a frequent go-to place as you do a lot of monster arena stuff there and all that and this is when you can start collecting the celestial weapons for all the different characters uh, you can go get the three additional aeons that are not required to finish the story but uh, we'll we'll go over all that stuff so our next episode is going to be yes us addressing kind of the build up to the final encounter and the final area of the game but it'll also be us going over a lot of the side content that exists in this game because it does all just fan out here in Mm. very interesting ways uh and i i think that is you know it's not the most uncommon thing to see in role-playing games because a lot of them will have that moment where you're kind of at the quote-unquote point of no return and it's where a lot of the end game Uh, Even stuff that is harder than the actual ending of the game uh, will start to open up and be available because that's where you can kind of drop a save down and and come back to and grind for uh, right before this moment. So even though we there is some urgency here to, you know, address the sin thing, it is also like we do have a minor reprieve in a way Mm -hmm. and we have a method of getting around Spira quickly and all that that we have not had before that is like completely at our disposal so it's uh it's an interesting section of the game and also one that i think we end up tackling a lot of stories that you would miss otherwise but do feel very important in terms of understanding this world and under like a lot of cool areas that exist like remium temple is a really cool area that you can never engage with in this game if you choose not to yeah. same with uh the temple that's in the xanarkin ruins and all that uh it's it's some cool stuff but that'll do it for our xanarkin episode here uh as always, we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast. We cover a wide variety of games. We started out with Bioware stuff, went through The Last of Us. Now we're on Final Fantasy X and soon ten two. Ken and I are currently mapping Ooh. out the schedule for that. Uh, it is taking a while <laughs> because that is a very complex game to map out. It is one we are going to do. We have set our sights on doing it. We're going to follow through with it, but figuring out a way of doing it that also maybe doesn't eat up the next two years of our life would be great. So uh, we're figuring that part out right now, what that looks like. We'll probably have more information for y'all on the other side of the year. Uh, once we're in 2022 and finishing up the last bits of final fantasy 10, we'll have some idea of what that is. We're also even talking about what our next game is. And I think, you know, Ken and I, we're not ready to announce it yet. We're not ready to say it yet. And I promise I won't just start leaking things about it like <laughs> I did with our last few seasons. But it's one that uh, I had to think about a bit, but I'm definitely warming up to. And I think it's going to be a very interesting season. A very certainly won't be dull. <laughs> I can guarantee that much. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll see how that all fits in and when that all kicks up. Uh, because obviously we still have to figure out what our schedule looks like for 10-2 and the extended 10 works. But in the meantime, if you want to support what we're doing, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash normandyfm. We're backing at any level. We'll get you into our backer Discord where people hang out, talk about their current playthroughs of the games we're playing, share memes, share funny little things. It's a cool place to hang out. Uh, any level will get you into that. If you want to back at the higher levels, uh, the next tier up will get you the episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. And at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every week on the every week, every episode on the podcast. Uh, and this week, that list is just the Wedge of Destiny, Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, and Micah Mante. Thank you all so much for contributing. Love to have your support. Jessica, where can the folks at home support you? Find your work. Please plug some stuff. You can find me on Twitter. That's kind of where I share everything. That's that's mm-hmm. the general hub. So if you want to follow me, my, um, oh my God, <laughs> wow! Apparently, I'm already blinking. If you want to follow me, uh, you can. Why, what is what, what am I looking for? Handle. That's the word. Oh my gosh! I'm so you sorry. Got there. You got there. That was the important part. <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is a wild Jessichu. Love that. A wild Jessichu. I do need to shout out that I am looking at your Twitter bio right now, and you are an Aizawa simp, huh? Oh, big time. Big time. Always. I was was down with the booster sickness recently and started a rewatch of My Hero during it, and I found myself falling down the same hole. Aizawa (laughs) is fantastic. He's so good. I, I love, you know, the the scraggly men with a heart of gold and, and mm-hmm. that's just him. So I also had a, you know, speaking of, of Final Fantasy X to, to kind of round this all out. Uh, I had a huge crush on Oren for like the same reason. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, Oren easily one of the best characters in Final Fantasy X's universe. Like, Absolutely. How, do you not, how do you not love Oren even though... Yeah, he's 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 a troubled guy. He's got a lot of regrets in I his past, but he's trying to do right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. That's exactly my type. Is I can fix him, so mm-hmm. I get it. <laughs> oh, oh, Oren. Uh things should have gone better for you. That's that's who Lulu should have ended up with in the end, not Waka. Uh, Waka out of here. You know, get Oren in here. Can you imagine the Oren Lulu power couple? My God, that that would be so good. Though I do have to say, so Waka. Waka sucks a little bit, would do gotta say. He's endearing, but he sucks a little bit. Um, but I do love the dynamic of like the high school jock being with the big titty goth girlfriend. Mm-mm. Yeah, but but the better high school jock <laughs> in this continuum is like dead. So it's not like we yeah, get Archie yeah. Andrews. We get like knockoff Archie Andrews, <laughs> <laughs> who's also a racist. <laughs> womp womp. Uh, uh. Oh, well, in another life, Lulu. (laughs) Uh, Thank you again, Jessica, for coming on, for for hanging out and chatting it up. We always love having you on, and it was a good time talking today about Xanarkin and all that. Uh, Thank you for having me. I love love talking to you guys. Are you you a 10-2 fan? I am definitely a 10-2 fan. I get to... We might need to talk then. We might need to set some (laughs) things up then. It's it's such a ridiculous game, but you get to dress up and give really awkward massages, and who doesn't mm-hmm. love that? 
boy, there are parts of this game I do not remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That scene is a lot and is one of the most embarrassing moments of my childhood. So it stays with me. I played that like with my the PS2 we owned at the time with my sisters and she was like, that's why I was playing it in her room. And like, I I couldn't explain it to her. I could not explain myself. I was playing that uh, when I was supposed to be sleeping as a kid at like probably 11 p.m. and had my TV turned up and I have never put down a controller and shot across mm-hmm. my bed to hit the volume of the TV faster. Yup. This is it's that it's that rule, right? If you're ever watching something that you're not supposed to be when you're younger, like your parents are going to hear it at the worst possible time. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for all those out there who have stumbled into awkward moments, thanks to Final Fantasy X and X-2, our journey will continue next time. But until then, for Jessica, for Ken, for myself, thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you on the next side quest episode of Normandy FM. Mm-hmm.